Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Well, hello again, Ginghamsburg family. On this weekend, this Memorial Day weekend, where we remember men and women who have sacrificed their lives and all the grief that we're bringing into this space and place, it is important for us as followers of Jesus to kind of bring in a wider circle of remembrance. You may not realize it, but sometimes we really struggle to talk about death and grief, even in the church. And on Memorial Day, Memorial Day for me, stirs within me this like spiritual curiosity for the future. And it's really because of the past. Let me explain. When I was just seven years old, we had this terribly tragic event that happened on a Memorial Day. My dad and my uncle Charlie were out kind of constructing a garage on my family home when suddenly I was inside and the phone rang. Now, let me say, this is before the days of cell phones, you know, is the phone that was actually like connected to a cord in the whole nine yards, right? You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. And so the phone rang and I didn't answer it because I was a kid and it probably wasn't for me. But then it rang again. And when I answered the phone, it was my uncle Larry and he was nearly yelling at me and I couldn't understood a word he said. So I just hung up on him. He called again. And this time I realized that something good wasn't happening. Something had happened to my grandpa, Paul. I hung up the phone and I went out to the garage and I tried to explain to my dad this broken message from my uncle Larry. Well, by the time my dad was starting to understand what I was saying, Larry was pulling into my driveway like a madman and just yelled at to, out to my dad. Dad's had a heart attack and my dad literally jumped into the back of the pickup truck and he sped off. A couple of hours later, I found myself at my grandma and grandpa's house in their yard, and in their yard was all of this debris from the EMTs who had been working on my grandfather before they took him to the hospital. And brothers and sisters, he never made it there alive. That day, my 58-year-old grandfather died of a massive heart attack. And Memorial Day? has never been the same since. Now, I also grew up in that kind of family that, you know, on Memorial Day weekend, we took flowers and flags uh, to celebrate Memorial Day to grave sides. I mean, just yesterday I was out running and I saw our Boy Scouts out placing flags at each one of the tombstones, honoring people. I mean, we were that kind of family. But Memorial Day now has honor and respect, but also layers and layers and layers of personal grief. My grandpa Paul, he was a veteran um, of the Korean War. In fact, I wear this little ring that says Korea on it that he sent to my grandmother when he was serving over there. Just amazing the kind of depth that this particular weekend has for my family. A few days and weeks after uh, the funeral, I, as a little kid, had all kinds of questions. And many times I found myself washing dishes and drying dishes with my mama, her washing, me drying. And I was super spiritually curious because you know dishes do that to a kid, right? <laughs> and I'd ask her questions like, why? Why did my grandpa die so young? 
because his dad, my grandpa Walter, lived till he was 94. So why did Grandpa Paul die of a massive heart attack at 58? Now, I imagine some of you probably had similar questions from your kids or your grandkids or your nieces and nephews this week who were asking, hey, why were little kids shot in a school shooting? I know my own children were just so full of fear going to school. Every time there is a school shooting, our kids feel that stuff. Our kids, our teachers, our administrators, the fear is real. And underneath all that fear is that question of why do people have to suffer? I mean, that's what I was really asking my mama. Every once in a while, I'd look at her and I say, mom, what is heaven going to be like? What happens when we die? Now, kudos to my mother because she didn't pretend to have all the answers. I mean, she had opinions about heaven and hell and all those kinds of things. But most of the time she would say, Rachel, we'll know when we get there. We got to be faithful in the meantime. So that's the question, the big question for today. What happens when we die? Because today, as we step into this weekend, our minds and hearts are full of questions about grief and loss. And today's message may go in a little bit of a different direction than you expected it to go into because brothers and sisters, we're all carrying with us this grab bag of grief. We're digging into the Old Testament book of 2 Kings and the story of Elisha and Elijah and how Elijah had this very unusual departure, separation, if you will. So let's open our Bibles and our Bible apps to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. That's like the first third of your Bibles. If you have your Bible app, just keep scrolling. You're going to find it. Here in 2 Kings, we experience what it's like to lose someone that you love. And before we get to the scripture, let's once again open our hearts and minds in prayer. God, we remember, we remember that not a single one of us is getting out of this life alive. We're all going to die. And God, sometimes we don't want to talk about life and loss because it's so terrifying. But God, open us up. Help us to be a source of hope and comfort to one another. And remind us, remind us that you are with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. You are our rock, our Lord, and our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' healing name, and everybody said, Amen. Second Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. As they were walking along, they being Elijah and Elisha, they were walking along, talking together. Suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elijah saw him no more. So he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over it. Now, friends, truly, I tell you, I want to go in this kind of way. 
No pain, no sirens, just like beam me up, Scotty, right? Like just it all happens in one fell swoop. Who doesn't want to go out in this way? And yet, no matter how we go, there are always going to be people left behind. Elisha is left behind and he experiences the full brunt of grief. Every single one of us come face to face with our own mortality and we experience a fear of loss. Say that with me, a fear of loss. We all lose. We all lose things that we love and whether that's a relationship or a job or a career or someone who is near and dear to us, we lose. And we have all of this fear of loss. You know, we have all of these ways that we avoid loss and change at all costs. I mean, sometimes we're so sentimental about things that we keep going to the same car repair shop. Or for some of us, we go to the same salon, even if we don't like the way that someone cuts our hair. I mean, the struggle is real. We don't want to experience the loss. I wonder what loss are you afraid of today? A loss of a child, a relationship, a spouse? What has you afraid of losing it? I wanna encourage particularly those of you who are participating online, just write it there in the chat. I'm afraid of losing whatever it is. We all carry within our persons this fear of loss. And so most of the time in our culture, we just avoid it. We don't talk about death. We don't talk about separation. We don't talk about Bruno, right? We just don't talk about it. Now, even though my family didn't have all the tools in their emotional and mental health toolbox, my parents never avoided talking about loss. I grew up on a farm and so there were a lot of animals that died on the regular. And I had questions and they would answer my questions. Or when some of their siblings were going through a divorce, I was a curious kid. So I asked the real awkward questions that no one really wanted to hear. Or when someone I loved died, I went straight to my mom and dad and said, what's up with this? They gave me space. My parents also had this habit of taking us kiddos uh, on visitations to like funerals. We would go and we would see these dead people in caskets on a regular, regular basis. And as a child, I saw more dead people than I ever wanted to see in a lifetime. It's kind of weird. And yet, it normalized death for me. It gave me language to talk about it. And I believe part of the reason I'm in the career I'm in today is because my family was not afraid to come face to face with death and die. So what about you? Do you have the space to grieve? Do you have the space to name your fears right out loud? Do you have the space to bring your full emotions, all the stages of grief into your life, your family's life, your friendships? Have you actually given yourself permission to grieve? Here at Ginghamsburg, we wanna create that kind of space. We wanna support you in your grief. That's why we have something called Grief Share. It's a support group here at Ginghamsburg Church. And this week we talked to Kitty Kincaid, executive, former executive director of our new Creation Counseling Center and co-leader of Grief Share, and talked to her about what it means to create that kind of space. This is what she had to say. Well, Grief Share is a program that offers um, healing and hope to people who are going through this most painful experience, maybe of their, of their life. 
of course it's a support group it's not a therapy group it's a support group and so just being with people who really who really get you you really understand you really get you at that time of your life so I think that's really really helpful certainly we encourage people to ha have had a loss but sometimes people participate because they really want to support someone close to them going through a loss the other thing that people ask when should I come to get grief share for some people it works to go right after the loss, but for many people that's just way too soon. And so there's no time frame involved, but um, most people find within the first year or so it's very helpful to get that kind of support. But we have a number of people who've had a loss many years ago even, and maybe another loss comes or they realize they've never really faced that loss. And so timing is really up to the person. It's always interesting to me how people actually grow closer to God during this time when maybe they're even questioning God. I think Grief Share really offers um, a good journey to do that. And then the other thing is Grief Share has an educational component. So it helps you to really normalize grief experiences and it nudges you to just take one step forward. The best way to navigate, navigate through your grief is to lean into the pain. And that's not something we typically advise people to do. <laughs> as we support people through grief, we just all want them to get better. We want ourselves to get better as we go through it, but that's not helpful. It's helpful to really experience the pain, but you can't do that alone. You just can't do it alone. You need people to support you. You need people to support you emotionally, just be able to sit with you, to just be there for you. Not to advise you, but just to sit there with you and, and let, you, let you be in pain sometimes. But it also, you also need help for people to make sure that you are okay physically, that you're eating and sleeping and getting some exercise. And those people might even be professional people. You might need a therapist to help you with that. You might need a doctor to give you some support in there. One good thing that Grief Share does, it gets you out of the house. It, a little bit of movement in your life is helpful. If you are getting professional help, sometimes it's a really great supplement to that. Griefshare.org is a website you can go to, and um, you can just put in where you're looking for grief, like the zip code or whatever, and we're listed in there, and our next session will be listed. We're just finishing up a session at Gingsburg, but we'll be starting again in September. If you sign up, um, you will be contacted, probably by me, and so I'll give you all the details and encourage you and remind you of the next session coming up. People need people. Say that with me. People need people, especially when we're going through a season of grief. Let's go back to our scripture. Elisha uh, needed people. He was a person that needed people. On three separate occasions, he has this company of prophets who asked Elisha if he knew that his mentor was gonna die that day. Today's the day. And this is what the Bible says. Uh, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilau. Uh, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, and the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elijah, Elisha and asked him, do you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. <laughs> He's saying, I know it, so leave me alone. I know it because I wanna be with him. I know today's the day and I'm gonna walk alongside of my mentor until the very moment that he is taken away from me. 
Now, there was this whole company of prophets, men and occasionally women who were speaking on behalf of God, and they are trying to care for Elisha. They are speaking the truth in love, and to this man, they are trying to prepare him for separation and loss, and they're trying to do it in the most healthy way possible. Now, brothers and sisters, I've been attempting to prepare myself and you all for my departure. Now, I'm not dying anytime soon, right? But I'm getting ready to transition to a brand new faith community. And let me just say, I've been grieving with the staff, with our leadership board. I've said multiple times this week, I've had so many layers of grief. Grieving this incredible church family, many of you, Grieving the fact that I have to move away from my neighborhood, the community that I find myself in. There are just so many things that I am grieving and people are giving me space to be honest and open and to say how I truly feel. And let me say, that is an absolute gift. And I wanna extend that gift to you as well. Not so that we can be in some kind of codependent relationship, but rather so that we can be honest and vulnerable and name how we truly feel. In her latest book, Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown talks about sometimes uh, when we're trying to express our feelings, we only have like three words that we use, angry, sad, or happy. That's about how many words that some people use. But what about things like guilty, envious, jealous, disappointed? All of these are feelings. We have so many words to describe what's going on in our hearts and our heads, but we don't always give ourselves permission to talk about our grief. And she writes, each person's grief is as unique as their fingerprint. But everyone has in, what everyone has in common is that no matter how they grieve, they share a need for their grief to be witnessed. That doesn't mean needing someone to try to lessen it or reframe it for them. The need is for someone to be fully present to the magnitude of their loss without trying to point out the silver lining. Don't you hate it when people are like trying to cheer you up and you're just trying to be sad? Like, just let me say how I really feel. Shut it. I mean, that's exactly what Elisha is doing. Shut it. I mean, quiet. I want to share with you how I really feel. Some of you are asking, okay, Rachel, I get it. We are grieving. We don't like loss. We have a fear of loss. But what about your question? What happens when I die? Go back to verse 11. As they were walking along together, suddenly a chariot fire and horses appeared and separated two of them. And Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, and the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Now, friends, I've been with a number of people who have passed away, and no two people die in the same way. And when I'm in that room, when I'm by the bedside, I mean, it is hard and it is holy. It's mysterious, and sometimes it's absolutely maddening. And here's what I can say. The veil between life and death is so very thin. If you've ever been with someone when they took their last breath, it's absolutely horrifically beautiful. Brothers and sisters, what happens when we die? One of my favorite theologians, N.T. Ride, when asked, what does it look like when we get to heaven? He has a pretty standard answer, which is, we will be, those of us who have hope in Christ, we will be with Christ. 
Well, what does with Christ look like? And this is what he says, I don't know. Boy, that's honest. I don't know, but I know this, we will be with Christ. And what happens to Elisha and Elijah? Where's Elijah? I don't know, but he's with God. He's there one moment and gone the next. He's with God. God has made us this promise, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. Brothers and sisters, when we pass from this life to the next, we are with Christ. And that brings us a whole lot of hope and comfort. For those of us left behind, it means the grief is still very, very real. Elisha is grieving. He's grieving so much that the scripture tells us he tears his garment. It's a sign of deep grief. It's a custom in the Jewish tradition. And it's amazing to me in the Jewish tradition, they have this, this whole process for grieving. And it begins with this period called the Antonaut, which is, it lasts from the moment that someone dies until they're buried for like three days. And then the Shiva, seven days where a family stays in their house together, grieving together, mourning together, comforting one another. And then the Sheoshim, for 30 days where folks just ease back into regular life. They don't go to parties, they don't go to celebrations, they give their mind, heart, body, and soul and calendar space to grieve. Can you imagine that in our culture? Where some people, after they bury someone they absolutely love, have to be back to work within 24 hours? What would it look like if we created that space? Not avoiding grief, not avoiding loss, not avoiding the conversation, but rather embracing the reality, our human reality, that we're all going to die and that we need space to grieve those people that we have loved and lost. I know as a pastor, I hold so many people in my heart. I see you grieving and I know that God sees you as well. Jesus, when he was dead, buried, and then resurrected, he appears to the disciples in the scripture and Acts tells us they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And what did he say to him? It's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. In other words, it's a mystery. Get over it. You're not going to have all the answers. <laughs> But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before them. Their very eyes, a cloud hid them from their sight. Jesus ascends much like Elijah, a little bit different, but there's something happening here that's kind of a parallel story. And then the disciples, they go and they huddle up in this upper room. And could it be? that they're practicing what they know? Could it be that they're huddled up in that upper room practicing the Shiva, grieving as a faith family for days, just waiting for this promised Holy Spirit? Brothers and sisters, I've never read the scripture in that way, but then when I realized they were huddled up together, I thought, of course they are, they're grieving together. 
And in the same way that Jesus doesn't leave them alone without pouring out God's anointing over them, Elisha is not left alone. Elisha picks up the cloak of Elijah. The cloak is his spiritual authority. His spiritual authority, his anointing, if you will, is imparted. That's what we call it in faith circles. Imparted to Elisha, from Elijah to Elisha. And then in verse 13, Elisha picks up that cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan because he's got to test this out. Has he really received the impartation? Has he really received the Holy Spirit? He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. And then he said this, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. Why did he do that? Because Elijah had done it and Moses before him. And he wanted to know that God was with him. And God was with him. When Elijah died, Elisha was able to step into his full purpose, but not before. Sometimes something has to die in order for us to experience the fullness of our purpose. Brothers and sisters, we are called to embrace all of resurrection. You see, in the face of death, we understand the cycle of life. That there's death and decay, but there's also rebirth and resurrection. Death and decay and rebirth and resurrection. There is no resurrection without death. There is no rebirth without loss. There is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. Friends, Jesus made a promise to those disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's exactly what happened. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. You see, God has a thing for fire in scripture, right? That God separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit They began to speak to one another in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And each one of them were filled with this power, this new life resurrection power. I mean, Jesus had told them before. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Here's the good news. Resurrection doesn't just make our lives a little better. Resurrection makes us new, absolutely brand new. So I have a question for you. What in your life needs to die so that you can step into resurrection? What do you need to let go of so that you can experience God's rebirth? What is it that you are holding on to that is like a weight on your heart and mind? And you need to surrender that to God. This morning, we're going to create space, space for you to pray. I'm going to invite our care pastors forward, and maybe you'll want to come forward for prayer because you are grieving. You've experienced so much loss this year, and you just need for someone to pray over you and set you free. 
For others of you, you just need to experience resurrection power that comes from Jesus Christ. And so you just wanna surrender your life to Jesus. For others of you, that fear that you are holding onto is a fear of that you're not safe. And so you want prayers of safety for you or maybe even your kiddos. Whatever it is, we're gonna create some holy ground. Asking on this day, on this Memorial Day weekend, that God, the God of the universe would be with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I invite you to come forward. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.